I just want to do something right now with, without words that have been given. We get to do something the angels cannot do. We get, we get to do something the angels cannot do, and that's sing a song out of our heart. The angels were created to round the throne and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We have the opportunity to make a sound that will never be created again right here in this moment. You will never be able to replicate the sound that can be made in this room with those who are sitting right here. And so what I want you to do, I want you to break out of your box a little bit and not so much rely upon the words of the song, but will you just stretch up your hands and out of your own heart, will you just begin to magnify God with your own heart, with your own voice? Come on, just lift up your voice and magnify him. Come on, there's a sound, there's a sound that can rise from within. Come on, let the sound rise. Let the sound rise. The angels cannot do this. The hosts of heaven cannot do this. Hey, hey, hey. The hosts of heaven cannot do this. Come on, if he saved you, if he healed you, if he delivered you. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. no substitute for hunger and thirst there's no substitute for hunger and thirst they that hunger shall be filled Jesus ran into a woman at Jacob's well in John chapter 4 and she was trying to fulfill a natural need with a natural substance to go get water for her and her family. And Jesus wasn't even supposed to be there. And and she got to the well and Jesus was sitting there waiting. And you know the story he said, do you have husbands? She said, no. She said, you've said correctly, you have five. And he looked at her and he said, If you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But the water that I shall give you will be a water flowing out of you, a spring coming up out of you, a spring of life. 
There's no substitute for hunger and thirst. There's no substitute. You could try and fake it all you want. But the world will know when the church is hungry for more of God. The world will know when the church is hungry and thirsty for the rivers of life. So, Father, we magnify you. And we bless you. And, Holy Spirit, I will obey you this morning. I will obey you this morning. And we give you the honor that's due your name. Because you're worthy. And there's nobody like you. There's nobody like you. And we give you all that you deserve, everything you are, we give to you. Help us to hear this morning, Holy Spirit. I lean on your everlasting arms. I lean on your everlasting arms. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you're seated, I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, rivers are coming. Tell them, rivers are coming. Rivers are coming. And you can be seated. Media folks, I'm sorry. I gave you all those verses and I'm not even going to preach what I planned. Go to Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. You know, I came this morning, and I have, a, I have a word, a prophetic word for this church from the Lord that I want to release at the end, uh, that, well, that I wanted to release at the end. And um, just, when I, just when I hit this pulpit, I'll be honest with you, I'm not prepared for this. I don't have an outline for this. So I'm, I'm fully leaning on the Holy Spirit right now. God is, there is, there is coming. And I believe it's already here. The last day revival. The last day awakening. And there's not a celebrity that can lead this awakening. There is not a, a TV preacher that can lead this awakening. Jesus is repositioning himself on the throne that we have kicked him off of. He is, he is repositioning himself on the throne that we have kicked him off of. And you say, well, how have we kicked him off? We have made our services about things that don't even matter. We have made our gatherings about things that don't even matter. We have planned our programs and our strategies around things the Holy Spirit never said we ought to do. And the church is getting ready to see what it could have been like had Jesus been on the throne and we had positioned him where he belongs the entire time. I feel this morning as I was praying and, and I, I want to take this moment. 
note and some of you are going to think I jumped out of the spirit. Well, this is just as spiritual as everything else. These life groups that you guys are trying to do. Can I just speak to them for a minute? Commitment is easier in community. Commitment is easier in community. You will read in Daniel and you will never see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego separated. How did they stand in the fire? Because they were committed to community. I'll let that sit on you and then I'll move. But as I was praying and, and I was asking the Holy Spirit what he would have to say, I thought I'd preach something different and then release this word at the end and that's not what Holy Spirit wants to do. I heard the words life, 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 rivers of life, rivers of life flowing in the desert. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, tell them to make preparations for the river. Make preparations for the river. Go with me to Ezekiel 47. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to do it. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. This is verse 1. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple and south of the altar. And he brought me out by the way of the north gate, and he led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my ankles." And again he measured 1,000, and he brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. And again he measured 1,000 uh, and brought me through the water, and the water came up to my waist. And again he measured 1,000, and this was a river that I could not cross. Somebody received this this morning. A river I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Waters in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. And he said, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned, there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the east region and goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, I want you to hear this. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. And there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. Hmm. And it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Englame 
and they will be places for spreading their nets, and their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. There's provision on the way. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for their food, and their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month. Come on, somebody. They will bear fruit every month. Even in the months they're not supposed to bear fruit, they will bear fruit because of the river. Hmm. Because their water flows from the sanctuary, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. And I honestly, I'll be honest with you, I tried to sit down and and come up with an outline for this here thing. And finally, I just settled on what I thought the Lord would want to say because nothing seemed to work. And then I stepped on this pulpit and I just think Holy Spirit is trying to stretch me a little bit this morning. And that's all right. There's something about the river. There is something about the river of God. You, some of you will say, well, how is this spiritual at all? I, 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 you read in the book of Revelation chapter 21 when John said, I looked and beheld and there was a throne and from it flowed a crystal river. And Ezekiel said, and I was at the temple, and from underneath the temple flowed a river. And so the first thing I have to realize, if I am to make preparations for the river, I have to create a place where God can be enthroned. I must create a place where God can be enthroned. How is God enthroned? I'm a worship leader as well. My main, my main position at our church in Columbus, I'm the student life pastor. I pastor our Columbus campus youth, and then I oversee our youth at all three campuses. And, and that's my main position, but I'm also a worship leader. And I have found, and I, I like to put imagery to what I'm doing. And I have found that every word of worship is like another piece of the throne that I have been laying for God. And as a leader, and as, as a leadership team, as a praise team, as a choir, it is my responsibility to build that throne until God can sit on it. I don't know if y'all know this, but there always comes a place in worship where the presence of God just sits. And I always know when we have finished creating the throne for that particular service because the presence of God just rests. There's something about it going from service to service and doing it, but God desires for a place to sit all the time. He desires for a a space to sit. I I heard a story from a man, and there was a king, and he he was a heavier man. He was a heavy set man, and he couldn't sit in a normal chair. And so whenever he would go into a party or into a gathering, he would look for a chair that was that was fit for him to sit in. And if he couldn't find a chair that was fit for him to sit in, he would leave. And how many times has God walked into our churches and had to turn around and leave because there was nowhere fit for the king to sit? How 
many times have we gathered and worshiped, and, but we've come in and our hearts were not connected to God's and our voices were not connected to our heart. We were just singing words and, and God walked in and he looked around for a minute and he said, I just, there's nowhere to sit. And he left. And it's a continual thing. It's continual. It's not I get it one time and he just stays. It's continual. It's an intentionality. I have to be intentional that every time that I wake up in the morning, there's a place for God to sit in my heart. Every time I get up and come to church, I'm creating an atmosphere, a space for the throne of God to rest here. And so many times we just get used to God just being here because that's just who God is. He's faithful. He's gracious. And and we have have so long uh, been okay and been satisfied with visitations. But God is longing for a place that he can call home. He's longing for a place where he can inhabit. Did you know that God, when he looks out of heaven, his longing is to see a place in the earth that looks like heaven? When he looks over the windows of heaven, he looks down and what he wants to see is heaven on the earth. It's what Jesus prayed. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is happening in heaven right now? There's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no pain, there's no tears, there's no heartbreak. There are no financial issues. The economy is right. There is justice for one and all. There is no racism. There is no abortion. There is nothing wrong because he has made them right. And Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come in the earth As it is in heaven. In heaven there's a throne and from the throne there flows a crystal river. And and sometimes we get just so used to God just sweeping in and visiting us. But I, I, I long not for a visitation. But I long for God to be able to come by me and say I found a place where I can live. I can set up shop here. It's like Samson. Samson became so used to God just winning victory after victory after victory. He would go on and on and on and he would come to this place where he would be deceived into thinking. I mean, think about this. It was, it was Samson who picked up the jawbone of a dead donkey and killed a thousand men. It was Samson that tied the foxes together and burned down the Philistines' camp. It was Samson who ripped a lion apart from its jaws. And every time the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. There was a visitation. What Samson did not know is that he held the key to habitation in his hair. His hair was a representation of the glory, and Delilah would vex him so. She would tell him, would you please tell me, tell me, what is the secret of your power? And he would lie, and she would come back and say, do you not, do you not love me? 
Do you not love me enough to tell me your sin? And finally, Samson, I, I, don't, I don't think it was because Samson loved her. I think it was because Samson was just fed up with her. Finally, Samson said, my power is connected to my hair. And the Bible said that as he lay sleeping, see, that's what happens when we settle for visitations and not habitations. Because every once, and and, and as time goes on, we just go through the motions. Come on. I'm not, there's nothing bad with visitations. There's just a greater level of intimacy the Holy Spirit wants to give us. And, and we can settle for visitations. And the Bible said she fell asleep in Delilah's lap. And as he lay sleeping, she shaved his head and tied his hands. And the Bible said Delilah jumped up and said, Samson, oh Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson got up and tried to break apart the bonds. And the Bible said he wist not, he knew not that the power and the glory of God had departed from him. There are churches today that were once thriving and under the unction and the influence of the Holy Spirit, but they got in church one day doing it how they always did it, just expecting something, just expecting a visitation, just expecting a sweep through, and all of a sudden they find themselves doing church, doing things like they've always done it, and they knew not that the glory had departed from them. And today there is an invitation for one life to come up just a step higher from visitation to habitation. Not just in the church, but in your life. Not just in this body, but in your life as an individual. Because corporate awakening begins in individual awakening. We so many times come to church and we expect the pastor and the preacher to come and give us a word to live on and we expect an awakening to happen while we sit here and worship, but Holy Spirit is offering you a space in the secret place to come and get awakened. That way you come to church and you bring the awakening with you. You bring it with you. You don't, you don't just live in it Sunday and Wednesday. You bring it with you. And my, our goal must be, God, find a place to live here. Find a place to live here. And when we make preparation for the river, it starts by giving God a place to sit. And Ezekiel saw this river, and the Bible said the man measured a thousand, and he led me out, and it came to my ankles. Ankles connect the shin to the foot. Ankles are the are the strength that gets the body walking. Without ankles, you're not walking. The Bible said he led me out to my ankles. And there's a revelation here that when the river begins to come, God is going to strengthen the body to walk again. God is going to strengthen the body to walk. 
and to live walking. To live walking. And then he said, he measured another thousand and he brought me to my knees. Out to my knees. The knees are the central part of the leg. Has anybody had knee replacement surgery in here? I have not, but I hear it's very painful. To the knees. The knees are a representation of prayer. When the river comes, there's something that begins to rise on the inside of you that desires to live a life of prayer. Not, not just, not just a, 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 now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord. Not that kind of prayer. But the prayer that moves heaven. Prayers that change nations. Prayers that change regions. Nehemiah himself prayed the prayer that changes nations. He prayed, God, give me favor with the king. And he took a note to the king and said, let me go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And because he prayed for favor from God, God sent him to rebuild the wall. It was a prayer that changed the nation. You don't, I, 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 I am, listen. I am to the point in my life, in my walk with God, that I am done living a reactive prayer life. I'm done living in reaction to everything that happens around me. It is a travesty that we do not pray for God to end abortion until another video comes out of them selling baby parts of aborted babies. That is a travesty, church. Because we are so reactive. And because we're reactive, that tells us we don't believe in the power of our prayers. And we see these videos and we're sickened. And we see these things happen and we're sickened. 50 million, 60 million babies aborted in the womb. And we live a reactive prayer life. I refuse to wait until the next baby is aborted to pray for God to end abortion. I refuse to wait until the next cop is shot in the streets to pray for favor and safety. I refuse to wait until the next black man is shot in the street to pray for an end to racism. I refuse to wait until the next child goes without a meal to pray for the end of child poverty. I refuse there's too much power in prayer to wait. It's too much. Do you know that you have the authority in your prayers to call things that are not as though they were? You have, a, you have power in your prayer to create miracles. Acts chapter 12. The Bible said that, that, that Herod saw, saw that it pleased the people that he persecuted the church. And so he went and got Peter, and he threw him in jail. And the Bible said, oh, round about verse 5 in Acts chapter 12, that the church made prayer. The church made prayer. And the Bible said, and it said, without ceasing, the church made prayer. And, and, and that word made, it's a really unique word. It means to create or to cause to come into existence. 
And lo and behold, as the church created and caused prayer to come into existence, they made and created and caused a miracle to come into existence for Peter. The Bible said as Peter was jailed up, hooked up in his jail cell, that that, 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 that they came out and, and, and an angel of the Lord came to Peter and he said, put your clothes on and follow me. And the Bible said Peter got up, put his clothes on, followed the angel out, and they got out of that jail without being recognized. And the Bible said they came to a gate, and the Bible said that the gate opened on its own accord. It wasn't, the angel didn't have a key, Peter didn't have a key, but it was the prayers of the church that opened that gate. When they got to the gate, the gate opened on its own accord because the church prayed. And the Bible said that when Peter came to himself, because some of y'all, if you were sitting up in jail and an angel of the Lord came to you and led you out of a city and a gate opened on its own, you would have to come to yourself too. When Peter realized that was not a vision, he went back to the house where the disciples were and he knocked on the door and the little girl turned around and he looked at the disciples and he said, hey, what we've been praying for is standing at the door. Come on, somebody. What we've been praying for is standing at the door. Prayer makes things happen. Prayer changes things. The priestly call of the believer was to be a believer and a priest of prayer. I don't have time to go into it, but if you go to Isaiah 62, 1 through 7, you want to, you, you, I believe that we honestly have a heart to pray for America. But so many people say, why? How? How do I pray for America? I don't have time to do it, but I just want to challenge you in your secret place. Go to Isaiah 62, 1 through 7, and replace Jerusalem with America. Replace Jerusalem with your house. Replace Jerusalem with your family. Replace Jerusalem with One Life Church. It's been my prayer. Verse 7, he says, I will not give rest day and night until you make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And I've prayed, I will not give a rest day or night until you make the potter's house a praise in the earth. Until you make America a praise in the earth. Until you make my household a praise in the earth. I will not give, you will be annoyed with me until you make me a praise in the earth. There's power in prayer. Do you believe that? It's the prayer of the saints that heal the sick. Prayer, and a lot of times we have made prayer an obligation or a religious activity. Prayer is a, is a privilege. Prayer is an adventure. I don't know another God that wants to spend time with his kids. I don't know another God that wants to spend time with his followers. I don't know. Allah doesn't want to spend time with his people. Buddha didn't want to spend time with his people. He just wanted their offerings and they wanted them to go away. But we serve a God and a father who wants to hear from us and commune with us. And he wants to be close to us. When I look at prayer like that, it changes the way I pray. It changes the way that I ask of God. I'm not asking a genie in a bottle. I'm asking a father who's got the best interests of his kids in his mind. Hmm. 
And prayer changes things. It's not a religious obligation. It's not a religious thing. It's a conversation between me and the Father. It's a connection between me and God. You don't have to pray in King James English to get God to move. I have a friend of mine. He's our young adult pastor. He's he's a director of our school of ministry. And I remember one day several years ago, he was telling me about a fast that he went on. And the Lord told him, I want you to fast watching TV while you eat. And um, so he said, what I, what I started doing, he said, I'd sit at the table. And, and that was part of the fast. He said, I want you to stop watching TV while you eat and sit at the table and talk to me while you're eating. And so he would, what he would do, he told me, he said, I'd pull a chair out for me and I'd sit down and I'd get my food all ready. He said, then I'd pull out a chair for God. And he said, I would literally sit there and talk to God like he was my best friend. That's the kind of relationship he wants with you and I. Exodus 33, 11, the Bible said, and Moses met with God as a friend meets with a friend face to face. The veil has been torn. The veil has been torn. Stop living on the outside of the veil. I'm talking to somebody. Stop living on the outside of the veil. It's been torn. And there's relationship intimacy waiting for you. Prayer changes things. Did you know that you can prophesy in prayer? You can prophesy in prayer, calling things that are not as... Did you know we have confused, we have so confused prophecy. We have have completely and totally obliterated prophecy because we've seen it misused, abused, and completely done away with. And there's so many people when you say prophecy, prophetic, prophesy, they start getting really terrified and scared. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians... Uh, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. You you don't know the definition of prophecy. Prophecy is bringing God's perspective in the earth. Bringing God's perspective in the earth. So how does that translate to prayer? God, I thank you that it is not your heart that 60 million babies are aborted every year, so I come against abortion and I declare that abortion will end in America. God, it's not your heart that white should be against black and Hispanic against Asian and and all these races pitted against each other. So I thank you that racism will end in America because that's God's heart. That's God's heart. That's his heart. That's his desire. That's his mind. And when the river comes, along with it comes his heart. And along with it comes a desire to pray and a desire to seek God and a desire to prophesy in prayer. And then he said, he took me to my waist. He took me to my waist. There's a story in scripture of a man named Jehu. And the Bible said that Elijah told the son of the prophet to go down and get Jehu and tell him, God has anointed you king over Israel. And so he went down, he got Jehu, he went into the back room and he poured oil on Jehu's head, and it ran down, and the Bible specifically mentions his waist. When the river comes, there is, a, there is a special anointing that comes with the river. It is not God's desire that we do church outside of his anointing. It is not his desire that we preach outside of his anointing. 
And when, when we make the preparation, and there's one more preparation we're going to get to in a minute, but when we make the preparation of making God a throne, he strengthens our ankles to walk, he strengthens our prayer life, and then he anoints us. He anoints us for battle. Psalm, David said, you have, in Psalm 18, you have taught my hands to war and my fingers to fight. There is something that happens when you pick up the mantle of a warrior. And uh, last Sunday, we, our young adult choir had the opportunity to lead worship, and I just heard the Holy Spirit say about uh, just the church in general that there's an awakening coming. I've already mentioned that this morning, but there's an awakening coming. And specifically, I, I told our choir on Saturday when we were practicing that I feel like God is awakening the warriors, not the soldiers, the warriors. And I was sitting there, and one of our young adults who's on our praise team, he said, that's crazy. He said, we had early morning devotion with my dad and a couple other men that come over in the morning on Saturdays. And he said, we got to talking and the Holy Spirit was just seeming to say there's an awakening coming for the warriors. As I shared that, I had two or three of my youth come up to me and say, I just read that this week and was just praying into it and just felt like there was awakening for the warriors that was coming. Not the soldiers, the warriors. You want to know the difference? Soldiers are, are committed to the cause. They're committed to this. Warriors are the ones that are going to paint their face and be on the front lines. Warriors are the crazy ones. Warriors are the ones that you don't want to get into a scuffle with. Because either you're going or they're taking you with you if they go. So either way, you're going down. And, and there's, there's an awakening of the warriors, the ones that will honestly in their heart say, God, I want all of you and nothing else. I will sell out everything I am, everything that I hold dear, I'll sell out to stand on the front line. When the river comes, there is an awakening that hits the body. In Ezekiel 37, the Bible, you know the story of the valley of dry bones. And the Bible said, Ezekiel said, the Lord brought me out to a valley and he sat me down. He sat me down. He didn't stand him up. He sat him down. He brought Ezekiel to the valley and he said, take inventory of what's happening here in this valley. And he sat me down. Sometimes God has to sit us down in the valley of our issues, in the valley of this world, in the valley of America, in the dryness of society. Sometimes God has to sit us down and say, take inventory of what is happening around you. And Ezekiel said, I looked and I beheld dry bones, and they were very dry. They were very dry. And the Bible said, that God said, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, only you know. And then he said this word, prophesy. Prophesy to the bones. Okay, God, I'm talking to things that can't even hear me. Right? Prophesy. Okay, these bones are dead. They're dried up. I'm sure if he picked one up, it'd probably fall apart. But, but Ezekiel, go ahead and prophesy to the bones. That doesn't make much sense. He didn't say prophesy to the army. See, God saw an army, but he was telling Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to these bones and tell them to come together. And tell them, I will put muscle on them and sinew. 
and I will make bone come to its bone. And so Ezekiel, there was no question. So Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded. And I told those bones, come together. And the Lord will put muscle and sinew and make bone come to its bone. And the Bible said, Ezekiel said, and I heard a sound. Come on, somebody. I heard a sound. Just because there's noise doesn't mean there's revival. But in the spirit, you can hear a sound. In the natural, you can hear a noise, but we need to tune our ears to hear the sound of revival. And, and the Bible said, Ezekiel said, I heard a sound, and there was a rustling, and all of a sudden, bone started coming to its bone, ankle bone to the shin bone, shin bone to the knee bone, elbow to the wrist, wrist to the fingers and the hand, and all of a sudden, this thing came together, and then there started coming sinew and muscle, and, and all of a sudden, now we have form. Sadly, that's where many people stay is form. They live a a 2 Timothy 3, 5 life, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And then God said, son of man, prophesy to the wind that they may breathe on the slain that they may live. And Ezekiel said, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And all of a sudden, breath entered into this form. As a priest in prayer, when the river hits my knees, my next calling should be prophesy to the wind that he come and breathe on these slain that they may live. And when Ezekiel prophesied to the wind, breath entered into form and they stood on their feet, an exceeding great army, warriors, not just Halfway people, not churchgoers, not church attenders, but warriors. Come on. You cannot, you cannot just come to church and say you're committed to Christ. There's, there's another step. You can come to church and you can get all you want and you can, you can hear the preacher and you can soak up the preacher. But there comes a point in time where if you don't have breath, come on. Honestly, I don't know anybody in this room that just goes home, comes to church, goes home, come to church. There's a world waiting out there for an army full of life to rise up and to go. And the Bible said at the end of Ezekiel 37 that the nations will know, the nations will know, the nations will know. There is an international mantle on the church. There is an international mantle on the warriors that the nations will know. He brought me to my waist and there was an awakening. There was something inside. Can you see what God is doing? Can you see the, the, the maturation and the steps that God is taking? First, I'm going to strengthen you to walk. Then I'm going to strengthen you to pray. Then I'm going to anoint and awaken you. 
And then I'm going to take you to a place where you're out of control. Come on, somebody. I'm going to take you to a place where you have lost control. And he said he measured another thousand. And he brought me to a river that could not be crossed. But only swam in. I'm not so sure about you, but I know me. I want to be in over my head in the river. I want to be in over my head in the river. Where it's no longer how I order service. It's no longer how I set up my systems and programs. It's no longer about how we do strategy and discipleship. But it's, it is about letting him lead the way. It's no longer what I want, but it's all what he wants. I desire to be caught in the current of this river. I don't want to swim against the current. I want to be caught in it. And wherever it leads, somewhere down the way, there might be a waterfall, and that'll be an adventure. Somewhere down the way, there might be some rocky roads, but I know I'm in the current. There might be some places where the river stops and we just sit for a minute. That's all right. I know I'm in the current. Is there anybody in the room that just wants to be in over your head? I just want to be overtaken. I'm tired of living life in, in, a, in a stage of just of a, of, a, of a cyclical cycle where I just I come to church on Sunday and Wednesday. I may have a few good Holy Ghost goosebumps here and there. I may speak in tongues a little bit and, and this, but nothing really has happened. No, I want to be completely in over my head. I want to be under the control of Holy Spirit. When I go to Walmart, I want to have a word for the cashier. When I go to Walmart, I want to see the person in a wheelchair get up and walk. When I go to Kroger, the coffee shop, I want to be able to tell somebody what their name is and tell them what the Lord says about them. That's what I, I want to be in over my head. I'm not qualified to be there, but that's where he wants me. Second Kings chapter 3, quickly. I'm going to just share a couple testimonies and then we're going to pray. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 16. I feel the Lord in here. Am I the only one that feels the Lord in here? 2 Kings chapter 3. <laughs> Here they are, they're in a valley. The Moabites are on one side, and they're in a valley with no water on the other, and this is your second preparation. Verse 16. And he said, Thus says the Lord. Make this valley full of ditches. <laughs> Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you will not see wind nor will you see rain. Yet this valley will be full of water. So that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And you shall attack every fortified city 
and every choice city, and you will cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stone. And in verse 20, now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way. Water came by the way of Edom. It came by the way. It didn't just poof appear. It came by the way. In the NIV, it said, and water flowed. There's only one place a water flows, and that's a river. And the Bible said that water flowed in the valley, and the country was filled with water. Here's your preparation. Number two, start digging. Start digging. You say, how do I dig? Well, the greatest way is to start digging in prayer. A lot of, and then, then a lot of times, digging is dreaming bigger than the finances will allow. Dream, dream as if the finances are already there. That's the kind of God we serve. Dream as if the preparation and, and the provision has already been made. He said, start digging. Start contending for revival in prayer. I hear the Holy Spirit. Start contending for revival in prayer. I want to read something over you this morning. I was sitting in my, uh, in my daughter's room which I didn't say this at the beginning, but I kind of jump right in. I'm so happy that my wife and my daughter are here with me this morning. And now she's embarrassed, but it's okay. My, my wife and my seven-month-old daughter. Yeah. And um, I, was, I was sitting there putting her to sleep. Well, I got to find it. Here we go. I was sitting there putting her to sleep, and this honestly happened like three nights in a row, and the Lord just started speaking to me, and so I wrote it down. And I want to read this over you. I want, I, want to, I want to just, I want to declare what the Lord is speaking. There is a sound that has come to my ears, and I have heard the voices upon voices lifting up a strong cry and contending for revival, and I will answer. I will answer with my spirit, and there will be signs and miracles that no man can take credit for. And I will draw you to a greater and deeper love for me, because you will not see my hand but my face. I will be the reward. I will be the prize. Voices crying out for an outpouring of my spirit will see what they have cried for. Some of you need to receive that because some of you have been contending for revival. Some of you have been contending for a move of God in this church for a move of God in this house, for a move of God in your life. And I am not deaf, the Lord says, I hear. I, I'm not, the Lord says, I'm not deaf, I hear. And I, I, I prepare your hearts for I will answer. And there will be no doubt that you have seen the answer of the Lord. Know that I hear and I will answer, says the Lord. And I, I, just, I just happen to believe that there is coming a move of God.
to One Life Church, and it's coming in the form of a river. And it is a river that cannot be stopped, and it is a river that will change everything it touches. And everything it touches in this valley will live. There will not be one thing. Everything that you touch when you get in the river will live. I prophesy that the economy of the, of the area around One Life will become greater. I prophesy that there will be restoration of families. There will be restoration of finances. There will be restoration of all things that were lost. Everything that is wrong will be made right. Because the Lord says, I am not deaf and I do hear. I hear. I just want to share a couple testimonies and then we're going to pray. Back in 2015, there was a prayer meeting at our church on a Saturday morning. I was not there. My brother was not there. There was, it was five men. It was my dad and four other guys. And as they began to pray, one of the guys just got the Holy Ghost on him. And he stood up. And if you knew him, I wish I, wish I had a picture or, or video or something because when he prays, it's amazing. But he'll just let out, hey! Like just when he prays and, and he started doing that and he just started saying, the river's coming, the river's coming, the river's coming, the river's coming. He just started saying, the river's coming, the river's coming. We weren't there. Our young adult choir led the next morning and in the middle of worship, my brother stopped everything and I was just, I was playing the keyboard just softly and he said, I just hear the Lord say, the river's coming. The river's coming. No, he wasn't in that prayer meeting. Didn't talk to anybody there. The river's coming. Right then, that prophetic moment opened up a brand new season for our church. It, I, I have never seen, I have never seen moves of God in that season. I've never seen anything like that before. We had a man in our church, his name is Steve Kinzer. He always sat way over here. His daughters were in our youth group. And he got diagnosed with stage four cancer. Non-Hodgkin's, Hodgkin's, and it was lymphoma. It was in his lymph, lymph nodes. Stage four. Pretty sure they give him, gave him something like four to six months to live. <laughs> but the church prayed. And uh, one Sunday morning, he would come down to the altar just about every Sunday. And we have something we call elder prayers where we line up the elders of the church during worship. And they come down and pray and, and, and ask God to meet the needs of those that need prayer. And he came down every week to receive prayer. And I mean, he looked like a walking dead man. Skin and bones, you could almost see his bones. He lost all his hair. From the chemo, it was surprised he didn't die earlier, to be completely honest. But again, the church prayed. And one, one Wednesday night, he came walking in the church and walked up to the front, and he had a full head of hair and looked like he had gained about 50 pounds. 
And he began to testify that he went to the doctor and they took a bunch of scans and the cancer that was in his lymph nodes and, and, and all the cancer in his body that had spread was gone. Was gone. Many of you know Andre Foncel. He was at our church for a series of meetings and I just remember that Wednesday night uh, they had mentioned Steve in, in, a, in, a, in some form, either between Sunday and Wednesday. And on Wednesday night, he brought up a bag, a gallon bag full of pills that he had to take when he was on cancer. And he walked up on the stage and he dumped them all over the, all over the stage. And, and if, if he was here today, he'd already be running. He's a runner. And, and when he got excited, he dumped them on the stage and he took off running. And he ran around the church about six or seven times and started dancing. But uh, I think you'd run and you would dance too if you were supposed to be dead and the river touched you and God healed you. It's what happens when the river comes. It brings life. It brings joy. Just, just uh, two, three months ago, our young adult choir was up leading, and I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me earlier in the week, I want to baptize the potter's house in joy. I just want to fill the potter's house with joy. So, uh, I, you know, we kind of do... Our order service like you guys do, we do two or three songs in the beginning, have offering and announcements, and then we go into worship, and then dad comes and preaches. I just heard the Holy Spirit say, don't even think, sing a third song. I just want you to sing prophetically. I said, all right, can do that. And so I told the church, I said, this is what the Lord said. This is what we're going to do. And we started prophesying joy. And I watched as 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 12-year-olds, every age in between got out of their pew and came to the altar and started dancing. See, that's what happens when the river comes. God brings unity in the generations. It's no longer your generation versus mine. It is us together manifesting the kingdom in the earth. And there, I mean, it it was the crazy, craziest thing I think I've ever probably seen. And so dad lined up our young adult choir, and he said, you guys are going to pray. I said, all right. He lined us up in in, in a prayer line, an old-fashioned, good old-fashioned prayer line across the stage. One one over here, one over here, and then just walk through the middle. This generation knows it as a fire tunnel. And uh, we're sitting there, and dad just gives the invitation. He said, if you just want a baptism of joy, I want you to just come run through this line. And I kid you not, we prayed for probably 500 people that morning that just came around. And then it got going, and Dad called the elders, and the elders came through. And then he called the security team, and the security team came through. And then he called the ushers, and the ushers came through. And and, and on and on. And then he called our, our school of ministry students, and they came through. And on and on and on it went. And our, our, our second service got started, and the same thing. This time there was a little boy named Eris, seven years old. I'm going to try to tell this story without crying. It's probably not going to happen. A seven-year boy named Eris. Grandma did what what grandmas do and walked him up to the prayer line and then went and did something else. And he was sitting there looking at me like he was terrified. And so he was over here and I walked down and I said, buddy, I said, do you want to go through the line with me? 
And he just shook his head. So I grabbed him. I said, go ahead. I held his hand all the way through this prayer line, got to the other side of the stage. And somehow grandma had made it from that side to this side by the time we got through. And she looked at me and she said, uh, Pastor Michael, she said, will you pray for him? He'd been holding a pen, but he was only holding it between his fingers. He wasn't grasping. He was just holding it between his fingers. And she said, will you pray for him? He cannot, he can't close his right hand. He says, he's never been able to feel his right hand. I said, said, of course. I didn't pray for him. I had our our youth, 13 to 30-year-olds, gather around this young seven-year-old and just begin to release healing over his body. He's sitting there with a pen in this hand, and he's moving this hand all around. Can't do nothing with this hand. And he came through, and I was standing on the backside. My young adult pastor was standing next to us. And uh, one of the elders said, hey, Gerald. He said, come here. And he walked down to the front. Because I, I believe that if God can heal, he can heal in an instant. And we don't got to wait till you go home and come back and testify. We were believing for healing right then. And Pastor Gerald went down there and got in front of him. And I could see, Pastor Gerald's got crazy eyes. And when he gets going, his eyes get about this big. And you're like, you're, you're kind of terrified. You're like, bro, chill. And, and he, got, he got going and he said, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? I'm watching. And all of a sudden, his eyes get this big. And he starts going. And it was like an explosion. Youth took off running this way. Took off running that way. They were dancing down here. They were dancing up here. Like a Holy Ghost explosion. Young Eris started moving his hand and closing and opening his hands service went on I don't know we probably from that moment forward healing was in the room so we just came into agreement with it and probably prayed for 20 or 30 people that needed healing and at the end of service one of our young adult ladies went back to the back pew where he was sitting she said what are you doing she said I want to pray for you he said what are you doing He said, I'm coloring because I can feel my hands. Come on, Jesus. This seven-year-old boy couldn't do what any other kid could do. Couldn't feel his hands. But one encounter with the river changed everything. Changed it all. I don't know how much sense this has made today, but I just got to ask you, are you ready for the river? Are you ready for the river? Stand to your feet all over this room. Will you lift up your hands and just worship him for a minute? Just reverence him in this room.